All right, that was great, wasn't it? Now, what we have here, what you just experienced, is a perfect example of this. The whole idea this year, we've been talking about being engaged. Six ladies who love to sing together started getting together on Sabbath afternoon, started singing together, and what's the result? The whole church is blessed. That's what happens when we engage with each other, and they even gave Tony something he could do as well to join in with them while they're there practicing so he doesn't get in trouble around the house. So that's, that's outstanding. What a, what a wonderful blessing, the ladies' ensemble. We we'll look forward to hearing from them again. Uh-oh, losing my notes. We have a very special event today that we want to make note of here right as we get going because we have a birthday person and she turns 90 and her family has come to celebrate with her today and Pastor Floyd, where'd you go? Come up here and uh, help me out. We're going we're gonna to all celebrate this little birthday here together briefly as a church family and uh, tell us Pastor Floyd... Who's here? What's the birthday? What's going on? Dorothy Ham Ying, her daughter uh, Lemoy, her son Michael, and some grandchildren, and nephews and nieces, and they're all here to help celebrate her 90th birthday. Amen. And it's my privilege to visit with Dorothy every other week over in the nursing center where she is a resident. So isn't that wonderful to have your family come around and celebrate a big day like that? So uh, we want to say happy birthday to you. And what do you think? Think we ought to sing? Should we sing? All right. All right. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy All right, that's fun. If you turn 90, we'll do that for you. So keep hanging around. Okay, a couple other things here. Uh, did you see this blue insert in your bulletin there? I just want to call attention to it real quick. Um, for the, uh, that was upside down, wasn't it? That's better. The uh, family ID event, actually there's two events for families listed here, but this Family ID event coming up September 12th, that's five weeks from today. This is that thing we did last year where uh, Greg Gunn, he came, he actually spoke at our services last year when we did this. He's not going to do that this year, but, but they came and they, they led a, a good number of groups of families through this process where you develop a vision and a purpose for your family. A lot of people have them for their business, a lot of people have them for themselves, but have you ever taken time? to put together with your spouse a vision for your family. It can make a real difference. This is something Alicia and I did. How many years ago was that when we first did this? Do you remember? We were young, I remember that, yeah. But we did this together and, and still have it to this day and, and it still helps us to this day uh, and has helped us clarify our own thinking about our family. So take a look at that, make a note of it, be a part of it, you won't be sorry. Uh, it will stay with your family 
at least through your generation and probably generations beyond. So, all right. I think I got everything covered. Okay, good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this Sabbath day and I thank you for the family that is this church that is gathered here this day. Lord, I pray for us and give us ears today that we will understand and hear how you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that you do when you're a shepherd is you watch the sheep. And we kind of use that term shepherd, that idea of shepherd as, as a pastor, as a shepherd. The Bible refers to that. And so, so I spend a good deal of my time sheep watching. And, and the truth is that part of the job is really not all that hard because watching sheep isn't that hard. They, they know how to eat on their own. They know how to drink water on their own. They move around the field generally on their own. It's all, that's not really the hard part of the job. But, but I got to tell you, I stand before you today a shepherd disturbed. Now, not for anything that the flock has done or failed to do. So don't worry. I'm not, not picking on anybody here today. But rather because my shepherd ears feel like they are hearing the distant sound of wolves howling. And that is something I, as a shepherd, cannot ignore. In fact, I have very direct orders on this from the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And so I come today with warning and with counsel that I pray you will heed. The safety of our flock just might depend on it. You see, I think I hear wolves and I want to remind the whole flock what to do when wolves come around. So what has set me off like this? Well, there's two things really. One of them is the slow yet steady spiraling of the culture of America from a nation which looks like a lamb into one that speaks like a dragon. That's kind of a revelation reference. We're not going to talk about that today, but we've talked about that kind of thing before. And, but that's not really the focus today. I am a bit tweaked by all of that. But I must confess, it's not the wolves of secularism that I hear this morning, but rather it's a different howling that I hear, a more subtle and potentially more dangerous one, one that comes dressed in sheep's clothing. So let me be real blunt. Some of the recent actions of our world church have put me on my guard and made me zealous concerning the safety of the Forest Lake flock. You may believe me to be overreacting, and indeed, if you do, I pray you are correct. I would love nothing more than to be wrong this time, but I don't think I am. Recent actions of our world church have caused me to suspect that what has been a remarkably pleasant and peaceful era for our world church may be swiftly ending 
to be replaced by an uglier day of divisions and conflict. This is not to suggest that days recently passed have been without a disagreement or two, but for quite some time, we as a people, both within this building and around the world, have existed together in a peaceful state of significant diversity, all still under a large umbrella called Adventism. Diversity of race, diversity of practice, and even to a significant degree, diversity of theology and belief. And while I believe that assessment remains true for us in this place today, I am not so certain that assessment remains true for us as a world family. And I do not know for how long we in here can remain untouched. Two months ago, our practice of having female pastors who serve and are respected equally in this place as their male colleagues was considered by some in our world body to be strange. Today, it is considered by some to be evil. And while others might not go that far, they may soon regard as at least insubordinate, if not downright rebellious, our continued impulse to insist that the God-ordained women on the Forest Lake Church staff be given the same institutional recognition as the God-ordained men on the Forest Lake Church staff. If anything, my own resolve on this subject has deepened over the last two months. If women can be called by God to be every bit as much a shepherd as I am, how arrogant are we if we refuse to institutionally acknowledge them as such? What, you're good enough for God, but you're not quite good enough for us. No, either women cannot be pastors at all, a notion that pastors Barb, Patty, and Sabine have proved a lie, or else they can be every bit as much pastors as men. This is no longer a matter of experimentation and waiting to see. We've waited long enough. It has now become a matter of conscience and a matter of justice. And I will return to this issue in a moment, but yet, even as I make this claim and make it with full intent to push behind it, I also recognize such emotional intensity puts me and all of us onto dangerous ground, onto the ground where the wolves prowl. You see, it seems to me that our day of relative peace in our diversity is being consumed by a new day of factions. Factions that seek to press in upon us. Factions that seek to steal our peaceful mutual existence. Factions that divide us from our world family and divide us from each other. Factions that demand you must be for us or you must be against us. Factions that would become our masters. Meaning that we, even as we advocate for our cause, must still resist these factions that would seek to consume us and destroy us. I believe great harm to our body was done at our most recent World Church Gathering. 
I believe we took a dangerous step away from the principles that have for so long preserved our unlikely world union. And ironically, we did it in the name of unity. What do I mean? Well, one huge part of the tear to the tapestry that is us was the vote taken regarding the issue I spoke about a moment ago, women's ordination. And by what is perhaps the greatest irony of all, we ripped that large hole with a vote that changed nothing. You will hear many different spins on what happened with women's ordination at San Antonio, but if you simply read the motion... A request that the General Conference divisions be given freedom on this issue and then note that the motion was not carried, then you can conclude nothing more than the simple fact that the General Conference session did not vote a new authority for divisions that they did not previously possess. But the problem with the vote is that voting no only means that current policy remains. And therein is the rub. What's current policy? And again, I suppose that depends on who you ask. You see, according to policy, the General Conference is allowed to specify the conditions for ordination. And the General Conference has in fact done so, laying out 15 qualifications. But nowhere in the standing policy does it state that women cannot be ordained. Tradition suggests that women cannot be ordained, for traditionally we have not ordained women. But then when did we ever base our actions on tradition? In fact, aren't we the ones who like to beat people up for basing their actions on tradition? Like, oh, I don't know, why is it you go to church on Sunday? Isn't that just tradition? Now, it may well be that those who wrote the policy on ordination never intended women to be ordained. But if that is what they intended, that is what they should have said. But they didn't say it, and until they do, there is no policy against it. Yet somehow, people all across our world church came away from the most recent General Conference session with the impression that the General Conference in session voted that women cannot be ordained, and some have even claimed they cannot be pastors. But don't be fooled by this faction of howling wolves. That is not what happened. And indeed, a better question that was never asked, but should be asked, is this. Wasn't this whole motion out of policy anyway? So remarkably, we find ourselves on the post-history side of a watershed vote in the life of our church that in truth changed nothing at all. Nothing at all, that is, except that it has now pushed us into two seemingly irreconcilable factions. Five years of study, and what did we get? Well, again, I suppose that just depends on who you ask about the only majority opinion that could be agreed upon was that the Bible neither mandates nor rejects the idea of the ordination of women, a position roughly two-thirds of the study group could agree on. And because of this, it is extremely important, I believe, to keep in mind the instructions that were given to the delegates in San Antonio before the vote. 
To paraphrase, these were the instructions. It is the belief of the study committee that this is not resolved in the Bible. Therefore, vote according to your conscience on this issue. And that is all good, of course, except for one thing. If this isn't an issue of biblical theology, but instead an issue of conscience, then I cannot submit my conscience on the issue to a council vote. Yet to many my stand is seen as obstinate and rebellious, for I have refused to come under the authority of the vote of the General Conference in session. To those of this view, I humbly submit these words quoted by Ellen White from the great reformer Martin Luther, who stated to the Diet of Worms, since you most serene majesty and your high mightinesses require from me a clear, simple, and precise answer, I will give you one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith, whether to the Pope or to the councils, because it is clear as the day that they have frequently erred or contradicted each other. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the Word of God, I cannot and I will not retract. For it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. If the great theologians of our church could have produced a clear biblical theology that showed ordaining women was against the Lord's order, then I could back down. But that was not the case. And in fact, the opposite was the case, regardless of what certain loud voices might still be trying to say. And while all of this is troubling enough in the extreme, it still is not what most disturbs me today and drives me to this shepherd's rant. Rather, it is something else. Something that you might miss if you weren't looking for it. Something that is a way more significant issue to the future of our church than whether or not we ever ordain women. And it goes like this. An issue of local church practice arose on the radar of the world church. It was not an issue of doctrine, nor was it an issue of a change in theology. Rather, it was an issue of local church practice designed to meet the realities of the church in a certain place at a certain time. One portion of our united world field sought the blessing of the entire world field to carry forward the work of the gospel by recognizing and ordaining women in a like manner as men. Yet despite the fact that a five-year study by many of our best theologians and some others as well, despite the fact that after five years there was only a clear majority of agreement that this issue was not contrary to Scripture, still the request was denied primarily by portions of the world church that would be unimpacted by the decision. 
I believe this act represents a massive tectonic shift in our world church. A shift to a new game we will soon regret having initiated. A game called ecclesiastical power politics. We did not always historically agree on everything, but when it came to mission-enabling practice in local fields, we tried our best to give one another the benefit of the doubt. But that is not what happened this time. And now, wherever we turn, we suddenly find ourselves in a church reality when on every side is a debate about who has final authority in the church. This is the distant wolf howl I have heard. Perhaps this sound has not yet reached your ears. I pray it never does. But as under-shepherd of this flock, I've got to tell you, I'm hearing the wolves howl. And I don't want the wolves with their factions in here where we still celebrate our diversity and where we still give each other grace. You see, the who has final authority game works like this. Whoever has final authority can force everyone else to believe and act according to the rules set by the final authority. This is a game that will kill us. For it leads us down the road of believing we vote truth. And all who vote against us vote against truth. We don't vote truth. Truth is eternal. We may make a vote that approximates truth, but it doesn't become truth because more of us voted for it than didn't. The who has final authority game is the factions game. It's a game with one winner, but two losers. For in the end, even the winners lose. It's a power game, a game of control, a game of force. And the game of force always destroys the church because the church is not supposed to be about force. The church cannot ever win by forcing compliance because to win by forcing compliance would be to deny its Lord. One lesson that Christian history should have taught us by now. Ellen White again, this time from the Desire of Ages. The earth was dark through misapprehension of God. That the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. This could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded... It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. Now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the church has somehow fallen. And I'm not about to set forth a list of the wolves so you can go out and kill them. If I presume to do so, that would make me a wolf as well. I'm not telling you who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, because if I did, then I would be the one creating factions. And that is what I said we cannot do. 
So what am I saying? Just this. Things have changed. And we need to be even more diligent and aware than we have ever been. For if we were, are not, we will get caught up in the factions of the power games and we will, in the end, with our own hands, destroy our own flock. So no matter how strongly we might be tempted, we must not allow ourselves to pick teams in the fight. Israel went down this road, the road of forming factions. One group decided to call itself Pharisees. The other group decided to call itself Sadducees. And in the end, the only thing they could agree on was killing Jesus. Factions will be hard for us to resist. As I mentioned at the beginning, Recent actions of our world church have caused me to suspect that what has been a remarkably pleasant and peaceful era for our world church may be swiftly ending to be replaced by an uglier day of divisions and conflict. It's easy enough to understand why. Some of those who've been living under the Adventist umbrella have moved pretty far from where we started and there really isn't much Seventh Day or Adventist left in them. And in response, some who see our essence slipping away have sought to secure the faith by driving permanent stakes into the ground to keep us from drifting off into oblivion, to finally, once and for all, define what it means to be an Adventist. It is all well intended, but it will never work, especially for a church founded on the notion of present truth, the idea that we must move and we must change through time. We can't run off and join the slipping away crowd, for how can we be the people of the book if we reach the point where we no longer follow the Bible? But neither can we join the stake-driving conservatives, for you see, as I mentioned before in the last series frames, we've never been conservatives. But neither, it is only to us that our traditional beliefs have come to be seen as conservative. And they have only seemed conservative since they've actually been around long enough for us to view them as old. We can't just be moderates about everything because Adventists are never moderates. We've always been radicals. What with Sabbath reform, health reform, refusal to work together on world mission with other churches because we believe Jesus wanted us to take our message everywhere and claims that Jesus is coming soon. Okay, maybe that's not so crazy now, but in 1840, that was nuts. So in all this confusion, you might be thinking, how will we ever stay on track? Actually, it's not really all that hard, despite how it may appear. Maybe you've heard this one, Micah 6.8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God? 
I'm telling you today that I hear wolves howling in the distance, but those wolves will never get in here to harm us if we remember these words and hold everyone and everything, including ourselves, to these words. Whatever we hear, is it just? Is it merciful? And are those who are saying it walking humbly with God? And how about this for counsel? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Can you say factions? It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We must know the scriptures for ourselves. It is not enough for us anymore to know what certain voices think the Bible says. In a day when there are wolves around, you must know the scripture for yourself. But not just that, we must also listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit leading us on. John 16, verse 12, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So you see, we should expect to grow and we should expect to learn more. This is part of what is crazy and awesome about being a Seventh-day Adventist. You see, we must always maintain our high view of Scripture, receiving it as the Word of God, yet we must also use our minds to apply that that Word to the day in which we live. You see, we can't just be like the liberal cliche where we just use our minds and don't worry about the Bible. And we can't just be like the fundamentalist cliche where whatever it says is what it means right now. Somehow we've got to do both. And we must run our race keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who said if he be lifted up, he would draw all men and all women to himself. We will stay safe if we keep Jesus, not policy, not politics, not factions, not charismatic voices, not even doctrines, but we will be safe if we keep Jesus at the center of the picture. Jesus said this to his disciples when they were fretting about difficult days. Matthew 24, verse 4. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Yes, we must be diligent, but we don't have to be afraid. Jesus will keep us together 
if we will let him and if we will ruthlessly resist joining factions. And what should we be doing instead? Well, how about this flock of sheep? Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Today I hear howling wolves, but we need not fear them, for they cannot touch us if we stay with Jesus, stay committed to each other, and keep on our mission. Pastor Floyd said to the kids, maybe you can hear something today that you can hang on to. This is it. Stay with Jesus. Stay committed to each other. And stay on mission. Our true shepherd, Jesus, sees and knows. And he will bring us safely home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will send us back to our Bibles, that we will know your scriptures and they will make us wise. And we pray that we will use the minds you've given us to apply that living word to this day. Help us to be committed to each other, Lord. May we never chase after voices outside that would set us against each other inside. We have differences of opinion, but that does not mean we can't be united in here. Unite us, Lord, in our focus on Jesus, on our commitment to each other, and on your mission in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.